This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. There's a funny saying about the Lamar River in the northeast part of Yellowstone National Park. The saying is that the river will blow out if an elk pees three drops in it. Ha! And it sure seems like that, doesn't it? I mean, any little bit of moisture, even a brief rain shower, makes the Lamar River look like chocolate milk. And because it runs into the Yellowstone River, it makes the Yellowstone River look like chocolate milk, too. Now, I like to drink chocolate milk. Uh, I like the chocolate milk from the local dairy, uh, Oberweiss Dairy. Oh, it comes it's in so good. glass bottles and... And, of course, I, I buy it for my grandson so I can drink it. My, my daughter just rolls her eyes like, why do you buy this expensive milk? But I don't like fishing in rivers and streams that look like chocolate milk. Now, really, what initially drew me to trout fishing was my love of crystal clear rivers and streams. I remember Colgrove Brook in northern Pennsylvania, uh, the Osable River in Michigan, and the Big Thompson River in Colorado. They're simply breathtaking and life-giving, so I can get a bit grumpy when a rainstorm adds a bit or even a lot of color to a crystal clear stream. Today we're going to talk about fly fishing off-color water. We've written about this before in our blog, but we need to talk about it. The fact is you can catch fish in off-color water if you make the right adjustments. So I guess to begin with, Dave, why do we dislike off-color water? Is, is this just an aesthetic issue? Well, no, definitely not. It definitely affects fishing. And if we're talking about snow runoff, which of course happens in the spring, uh, it raises the water level and especially in the West can turn it into a raging river. I mean, that's why they talk about the high water mark yeah. and in the spring mm-hmm. is where and is when it often hits the high water mark. So yeah, I mean, it's at that moment, it's better to stay home. It changes yeah. the feeding patterns and the fish seem to hunker down. They seem to, they seem to sit differently and they are in different runs. I mean, the river actually changes. So yeah, it does. it's really hard to, it's also really hard to get a decent drift with your fly. Yep. So mm-hmm. it seems like when it's raging and raging and raging, it's just better to go to Starbucks or do something like yeah, that. So absolutely. And then some of you may fish on tailwaters or spring creeks. They're, they're a bit different than the freestone creeks and rivers which blow out every spring. But, hey, muddy water is muddy water. Well, that reminds it? me, was it last year when we fished Canfield Creek, which is a spring creek yeah. out in the mm-hmm. Minnesota Driftless? Yep. And they had a couple days of, of uh, rain, and it was blown out. Yeah, it, it did was. clear up quickly, though. It did. It came back a lot quicker than uh, the Root River that, that it runs into, but... Yeah, you're right. Muddy water is muddy water. Plus, if you thrive on dry flies, you're finished until the water level drops. And yeah, there's some exceptions to that, but for the most part, yeah, you just have to wait. Even a slight bit of coloration seems to subdue really feeding for about 12 to 24 hours, doesn't it? It really does. It does. I know there's got to be exceptions to this, people going out and they're just killing it because the water's muddy, but man, I just have never experienced it. There's usually an exception to everything you say when it comes to fly fishing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's why we're always uh, <laughs> on the one uh, hand and on the other hand. Disclaimers. That's yeah, right. Exactly. 
But on the other hand, off color is not always bad. Can we say that, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. We've caught fish on many days when the water was not perfect. And it can work to your advantage, can it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, how, how is that? Is that true? For starters, I think you know the lower visibility may prevent trout from seeing you or or your false cast, yeah. or your lousy cast. <laughs> when you and, said your false cast, why were you looking at me like that? <laughs> or even your tippet, right? Yeah. So, you know, fish are less spooky because there is better protection from predators as well. I, so, know, I always think of the, the lower Madison, or in the bear trapper we fish, and you just see so many birds, hawks, and things just flying through that that canyon. It's just beautiful. It's like you're in this big wildlife preserve or yeah, amphitheater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you think about those trout. You you've got to you got to stay hidden, and and they often will hide in weed beds. But we've seen times when uh, it's been a little more off color, where we'll see fish rising. Where uh, wow, they would never be in such a shallow place with all those birds, but they can do it because they're they're not seen. Yeah. Well, I think also tailwaters, right? So yeah, you're fishing mm-hmm. just before below the dams. We. Again, a lot of our experiences in Montana and Colorado, but I know we fish Willow Creek, which flows out of, isn't it the Harrison Dam? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, right. um, and you know, they're always releasing water. Um, the Owyhee River in eastern Oregon, where my in-laws used to live, I fished that a lot. And, yeah, even the lower Madison coming out of Ennis Lake. Yeah, for sure. seems like the wind blows in Ennis Lake, and it's... Uh, you know, it's almost like that teacup effect where you set it down and the water just sloshing back and forth, and and it just stirs up dirt, and so yeah, it, it happens even there. So, what are some good strategies for uh, fishing in off-color water? I mean, yeah, if, if it's uh, if it's just raging and boiling because of snow runoff, maybe it's better to stay home and tie flies. But uh, if if you have a little bit of color and say. this might be a good day or maybe you've taken a five-day trip to wherever and hey this is your one shot to fish well that's what's most frustrating isn't it it's you either stay in your hotel room or stay with your friends or do whatever or you fish so you're out there it's off color what are some things you can do to possibly make this work well, one of our go-to strategies is always throwing on the San Juan worm as a oh, dropper. Yes, uh, yes. And often, what I'll do is I'll I'll put on a, a streamer, I'll put on a woolly booger, and then drop a San Juan worm, and then I'll actually drift the streamer. And you know, when okay. rainstorms and rising water, they often lose loosen up mud along the banks, and this, of course, dislodges worms and and sends them drifting down the current. So. A pattern like a San Juan worm is a bit larger than, say, a size 18 zebra midge. Yeah, no kidding. You know, a tiny nymph. So it's easier for trout to spot it when visibility is limited. Yeah. And so I, you, I know you like to use that as a dropper, and that's a good strategy. I mean, you could also use that as your lead fly well, absolutely. or as your only fly. Absolutely. So, yeah. But yeah, make sure you have some San Juan worms. Unless in you're your a purist, right? Box. Right. <laughs> yeah. If you're a fly fishing purist, the word San Juan worm is. And we're unashamedly not purists. No, we're not. <laughs> That's right. All right, another strategy is to slow down your fly. And again, this this has to do with the idea that visibility is, is limited. So you want to give trout a longer-than-usual view of your fly. Now, if you're fishing nymphs, the way that you might slow your fly down is to add more weight. Uh, that gets it uh, into the slower current at the bottom of the river. And... 
it's a little adjustment, but sometimes that might make the difference. Now, remember, if the bubbles on the surface are moving faster than your strike indicator, then you, you've gotten deep enough. You're down at the right depth. And if you're stripping a streamer, well, that, that's easy enough. Just strip it more slowly uh, so that, that the fish uh, you know, aren't going to go after it. And then, wow, it, it disappears because of this long <laughs> five-foot dart through the current. <laughs> I tell you what, with with streamer stripping, holy cow, it is such an art, and there's all these different ways to do it. And but I do think when when it's muddy, slower beats quicker. Yeah, it does. I think I think, it's right. I think it does. Yeah. I mean, it, ostensibly, it's worked for me. So um, I think it I think it really does work. So uh, the third thing is is don't forget to look for risers, and I think. I tend to go beneath the surface. I'll fish streamers or the San Juan immediately. Mm -hmm. But you can find risers in slower water, either yeah. in the tailwater of a pool or even in the outside of a bend. And and these are places where the fish have more time to respond since the flies on the yeah. surface are not being carried along so quickly. Yeah, that's right. And that, that reminds me then to look for fish in unexpected places. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mentioned a few years ago, I, I fished the lower Madison in Montana when it had more color than usual because you, you get that effect with, uh, with Ennis Lake. And on one of those days, I approached a familiar run, and I was surprised to see a couple trout feeding near a shallow bank. And I, I've never seen trout in that spot before. Uh, they're, they're always in a deeper channel about six feet further into the river, but like I'm, we talked about just a few moments ago, with murky water, they were less visible to predators, and I think I ended up catching one of them. So, uh, yeah, when when you have murky water, pay even more attention because the the fish are going to be there, but they might uh, they might feed somewhere where you least expect it. The fifth thing is really to fish the slower moving water, and this is in a sense a corollary to the to the previous point. Uh, fish the slower moving water, which is typically located tight to the banks, behind boulders, below gravel ledges, and in slow moving eddies and seams. And trout, unlike Steve and me, do not want to burn unnecessary calories <laughs> by exhausting ourselves in this fast current. So, you know, think treadmill at, at light speed. So um, instead, a trout will often hold and feed in the slower water. So I think, yeah. I, I think you need to think about fishing slower water when 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 the water colors up a little bit that's right and then in terms of your patterns uh, use larger flashier kind of buggier generally more visible fly patterns uh, some of the high spring flows and increasing water temperatures will cue some of the biggest bugs and food sources around including the stonefly nymphs aquatic worms uh, the, the bright caddis crane fly larvae scuds uh, so, yeah, keep that in mind as well. Stoneflies are always a good bet. Try, you know, crawling large stonefly nymphs along the bottom towards the riverbanks. You know, the, the flies will often crawl towards the banks before they molt and hatch on the rocks and, and the dry land. So rather than the more common, you know, the dead drift or what's called the drag-free drift, utilize a tension drift with a tight line and, and guiding your stonefly towards the bank in order to imitate the real thing. So I do think... Figuring out a way to mix it up, do something a little different than simply the dead drift or simply the the fly at the surface, you know, the dry fly at the surface. I think when water gets colored up, 
yeah, I think it's time to think differently and, and mix it up. I think it's a great point. Maybe a final thing we could say is don't be afraid to use heavier, stronger tippets. So uh, one, two, three X tippet, uh, you know, thin is not for runoff. Uh, you don't have to use five or six or seven X tippets because fish are simply not going to see that thicker, heavier line in muddy, discolored water. And, and if you are fishing in stronger currents, you're going to need the thicker line to play the fish. Especially if you're, you catch some of the bigger hogs in that, yeah. in that mm -hmm. water, right? I mean, one of the hopes is, is that fish move around, and sometimes those bigger fish are feeding. And, and man, if you can hook on one of those, you don't want the 5X you know, or 6X tippet for a you know, three- or four-pound brown trout. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So don't give up fly fishing when the, your clear running river gets a bit murky. You, you can work around a bit of color, and sometimes it may even work to your advantage. Well, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Recently, we re-ran a post about the wisdom of purchasing a fly rod with a rod breakage guarantee. We also talked a bit about the need to take care of your equipment, and I love Jim's response to this. This is what he said. What you say is very true. If you take care of your tools and other equipment, it will always be there for you. I have passed down cared-for shotguns to my sons that were in as good, or if not, better condition than they were 50 years ago. The same goes for fishing equipment. I know for some this doesn't sound like much, but my Pride and Joy fly rod is a Norvis six-weight silver label I purchased uh, brand new and unused from my best friend. Man, I got to stop there and say I can relate to that. That was the uh, that was the first uh, really good fly rod I, I bought. Wow. It was a, an Orvis silver label, uh, nine foot six weight. Anyway, he said he my friend had gotten it at Orvis along with several others from the discount bin for discontinued items. The rod originally listed for around two hundred and fifty bucks. That's what I paid for mine. But he only asked for the $100 he paid for it, and it comes with a guarantee. It says 25 years, but I've heard of folks getting their rods fixed long after that. Ever since I was a kid, Orvis has been the holy grail of fly rods. To own one meant that you had arrived and were worthy of standing in the water and casting the fur and feathers with the best of them. I keep and guard that rod with my life, and it's always been there for the smallest to largest trout in the Deerfield River in southern Vermont and western Massachusetts. Isn't that great? Wow, that's a great comment. Oh, it really is. really is. And I, uh, you know, I talked about my uh, Orvis Silver label. I broke it at least once. I stepped on it in the dark. It was... Uh, it was drying, and I had a fly tying bench, and it was sitting right there. And in the dark, I snapped it. And so that the reason that it's still in service, uh, I gave it to my brother in law. It's a two piece, and with all the the flying that we have to do to go to Montana or wherever, I, I needed a four piece. But uh, that rod is still in existence because it has that rod breakage guarantee. I have used those guarantees so often, and I, I've wondered, okay, could I take better care of my gear? And I, I think I can, and I have been more thoughtful um, in recent years just about making sure, you know, just double-checking and simple things like be very careful where I set the rod right. when I get back to the truck, and even with all those... yeah. Accidents extra, still happen. Ac extra yeah. steps. Accidents still happen. But yep. I love that passion for, for caring for your oh, gear. I know. It. I know. 
That is really cool. Yeah. In fact, your dad was like that, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he really was. Yeah, he was. And I'm still still hunting with, uh, you know, even my grandsons will use a little shotgun that, that I got when I was uh, 10 years old. So, yeah, it pays to take care of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's going to do it for today. What have you learned about f- fishing water when it's off color or looks like chocolate milk? You can join the conversation by going to twoguysinariver.com and comment on this podcast link. You can find us on all the social platforms, and if you'd like to send us an idea for a podcast, just send an email to stevedave at twoguysinariver.com. Steve Dave, that's one word, no space between the two names. Steve Dave at twoguysinariver.com, and we will... I'm sure we'll add your idea to our list <laughs> because we need more great ideas. That's right. And make sure when you hit the site that you sign up for our weekly email alert. And we send out an email each week with the new episode and the new content and much, much more. Also, we really want to thank all of you for purchasing the Fly Fishers Book of List or for all of you who actually purchased the Fly Fishers Book of List. Hundreds of thousands yeah, of yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've mentioned this before. You know, it's just on every bestseller list. But right. But the book is really a cliff notes of all the hacks and tips that we've learned through the years. And if you haven't picked it up, we'd love for you to do so. One last thing, refer the podcast. That's how we grow. In the last year, we've really grown significantly, and that's simply how we have grown. So thank you very much. Well, thanks again for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Fly fishing.